the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Hebrews chapter 4, it says we should come boldly to the throne of grace to receive help in our time of need. God invites us to come boldly to his throne, confidently, without reservation, without hesitation. Do you go to God boldly for your needs? Or do you, or do you see God kind of more like you know the Wizard of Oz? Kind of the scary person that I want to approach cautiously. God says, come boldly to my throne. Jesus expected his disciples to pray, and as followers of Jesus, he expects the same out of us. In today's scripture passage, Jesus is teaching the disciples how to stay in touch after he leaves. At the time, it wasn't all making perfect sense to the disciples, but that's where faith comes in. Are you in a situation that doesn't make sense to you? In the message today, Pastor Dan will encourage you to remain in prayer with the Lord during good times and bad. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of John chapter 16 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. really wanted to ask Jesus, but they didn't ask him. Why not? Well, it doesn't tell us. But maybe they didn't want to look foolish. Or maybe they didn't want to be embarrassed. You know what that's like when you're in a meeting or you're sitting in a classroom at school and you don't have any idea what's going on, what's being said. You're not following it at all. But you don't want to raise your hand and say, man, I am totally lost. Uh, could you go back to the very beginning and go through this one more time? Because I am, I am lost. That's embarrassing. So maybe they didn't want to be embarrassed. They didn't want to look foolish. They want to look dumb. Uh, maybe they didn't want Jesus to know. They didn't really understand what he was saying. Uh, you know, they, so they play it cool. And just, yeah, amen. A little while, a little while, a little while, whatever. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I remember uh, years and years ago when we still lived in Florida, I was an assistant pastor at a church and uh, there was a local local radio station that had this like lunchtime live show where they would bring in local ministries to talk about things and talk about ministry and, and, and uh, the Bible and that kind of stuff. And myself and another assistant pastor went on this live radio show and at some point the interviewer used some big theological term. Uh, in talking about ministry. Now, I just so you know, maybe this might be a surprise to you. I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't go to seminary. So I don't know a lot of big theological terms. So he, he launches into this whole discussion 
on some theological thing, using theological language. I had no idea what he was talking about on live radio. And the other guy that was with me, he seemed to know what was going to happen. Yeah, and he started, you know, they're kind of going back and forth, and I'm just kind of just saying yes, you know, with them kind of thing. Uh, and then as we're walking out to the car, the other guy, who I thought understood what was going on, he said, what is that word that he, what do you think that meant? I was like, I thought you knew. You seemed to know what he was talking about. He said, we were on live radio. I didn't want to look like we didn't know what we were talking about. And I, well, I was kind of okay with looking like I didn't know what I was talking about. But it was just one of those things where on live radio, you don't want to say, I don't know what that word means. Can you explain that to me? And here the disciples, they, they don't want to say, hey, we don't understand what you're talking about. So they didn't ask. But Jesus knew. They desired to ask him. So, verse 19, he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Again, he is speaking about his death, and resurrection. He says to the disciples, you will weep and lament when he dies on the cross. And the word weep here, it means to mourn for the dead. To mourn for the dead. The disciples will weep, they will mourn, they will lament the death of Jesus Christ after his death and burial. Uh, Mark chapter 16 verse 10, for example, says the disciples were mourning and weeping. Uh, the two men on the road to Emmaus who didn't know Jesus was resurrected, they thought he was still dead. And Luke chapter 24, when Jesus comes up to them on the road and he initiates a conversation with them, Jesus begins the conversation by saying, what are you talking about that has made you so sad? So it's obvious to Jesus just by looking at them that they're sad. They're brokenhearted. So the disciples will mourn, they will lament the death of Jesus Look what it says. The world will rejoice over his death. The world will say, good riddance. The world will say, I'm glad he's dead. Glad we don't have to listen to him. The Bible says Jesus was despised. Jesus was rejected by the world. And the world rejoiced when he died. And his voice was silenced. And listen to me, Jesus is still despised and rejected in the world. Not by everybody, but the majority of the world still despises Jesus and still despises his word and despises his people. And the world rejoices when Jesus is silenced. The world rejoices when Jesus is removed from the public square. The world rejoices when the people of God are silenced. The world rejoices when the Bible is silenced. The world rejoices when biblical morality is silenced and replaced with world's morality. There are people that rejoice at that, that are grateful for that. And so you have this contrast here where the disciples, they will weep and lament over the death of Jesus Christ, but the world will rejoice over his death. And then the second half of verse 20, 
he says, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. The disciples' sorrow will be turned to joy on the third day when Jesus is resurrected from the grave. Their sorrow will be turned to joy. Pastor Dan will have more to share from today's Ring of Truth study in just a moment. But right now, we'd like to invite you to worship with us this Sunday morning. Here's Pastor Dan to tell you a little more. I heard recently that many people who listen to Christian radio are not part of a local church. Hey, if that's you, I'd like for you to join us this weekend as our guest at Calvary Chapel located in Columbia, Maryland. The teachings you've enjoyed here on Ring of Truth are from messages I've shared with the congregation at Calvary Chapel. We have two meeting times on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. You can find out more and get directions at our website, calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Now let's get back to today's message on Ring of Truth. We see this in the gospel accounts on the resurrection morning where, where the the disciples, once they realize that Jesus is alive and that he's resurrected from the dead, they began to rejoice and celebrate. They have great joy, it says in the Gospels. Their grief is turned to joy. And I want you to notice here in verse 20, it does not say their sorrow was replaced with joy. It says their sorrow was turned into joy. Now, what is that talking about? Why am I pointing that out? Well, you know, if you have a, a toddler who is crying and is sorrowful, quite often you can, you can distract that toddler from their sorrow. You can give them a piece of candy, or you can give them a toy, and suddenly they'll stop crying, right? And they're happy. And what you've done is you've just redirected them. You've just distracted them with something that they enjoy. And in that case, now their sorrow has been replaced with something that brings joy. That's not what it says here. It's not not talking about redirecting or replacing sorrow with joy here. Jesus said his disciples' sorrow will be turned into joy. In other words, the thing that caused them sorrow will be the same thing that causes them joy. They were sorrowful because Jesus died on the cross, but after the resurrection, they rejoiced that Jesus died on the cross. Today, we rejoice that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And so you see the same, the same thing that was the source of their sorrow became the source of their joy. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now in verse 21, Jesus gives us an illustration to help us understand his point. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. Now, just a little side note here for you, ladies. Whenever the Bible talks about a woman going into labor and delivering a baby, it always describes the woman as being delivered from the pregnancy. Not the baby being delivered. That's how we talk about it. Baby's delivered. But in the Bible, the woman is delivered from pregnancy. And some of the ladies can say, Amen. Right? <laughs> A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish or joy that a human being has been born into the world. Very familiar analogy that Jesus uses here that we can all understand. 
that illustrates to us joy issuing from sorrow. Giving birth to a baby is very painful, or so I've observed. I'm, I'm not speaking from experience here, solely as an eyewitness, it seems to be painful. <laughs> I've cut an umbilical cord three times, which is kind of like the participation trophy for dads, right? You get to cut the umbilical cord. But giving birth is painful for a woman. But once the baby is born, the mother experiences great joy. Once she, once she holds her baby, it's joy. Right? By the way, that's why on Facebook they post pictures of the mom holding the baby after the birth. They don't post pictures of mom right before the birth. Right? Because that's a time of anguish. That's a time of sorrow. And they post pictures right after the birth because that's a time of joy when she's holding her baby in her arms. And the baby, who was the cause of great pain and anguish, becomes the cause of great joy. The same baby that moments before was the cause of anguish and pain is now the cause of great joy. And in the same way, the death of Jesus Christ caused great sorrow, but it, came, but it became the cause of of great joy. Therefore, you now have sorrow, verse 22, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. When you see Jesus, your heart will rejoice. And no one will take that joy from you. There, there, is a, there is a joy here that he's talking, he's talking about the resurrection here. There is a joy that comes from knowing that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. There's a joy that that brings. Because the resurrection assures us that Jesus' sacrifice for our sins was accepted in heaven. And that Jesus defeated sin and death and hell for us through his death in our place on the cross. And the resurrection assures that. Us. The resurrection, the empty tomb, assures us that our sins are forgiven and that we can live a forgiven life. The empty tomb assures us that we have eternal life. The empty tomb assures us that we one day will also be resurrected and receive a glorified body just like Jesus. There's, there's a joy that comes from knowing that the tomb is empty, right? Right? Just knowing that. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why the Easter is the biggest celebration in all of human history. That more people celebrate Easter than any other event because of what the empty tomb means for every one of us. And the promises that it assures us of because the tomb is empty. And no one can take that joy away from us, he says in verse 22. No one can take the joy away of knowing that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive, and all that that means for us. Nothing can steal that from us. And in that day, verse 23, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Up to this point, whenever the disciples needed something, they just asked Jesus. When they were on the boat with Jesus in the Galilee and the storm arose, they woke Jesus up and Jesus rescued them. When they were hungry, Jesus provided lunch for them, fed them. Uh, when Peter's mother-in-law was sick and dying, Jesus 
healed her. They just asked Jesus. Jesus took care of it. But soon, soon Jesus will ascend to heaven and, the, and their relationship now will change. And what he's telling them now is, is from this point forward, once he ascends to heaven, from that point on, you can go directly to the Father for your needs. They can't go to Jesus anymore. He's not there. But they can go directly to the Father. We can go directly to the Father. We have access to the Father. Now we go to the Father in the name of Jesus. We go not, not on our own merit, but on the merit of Jesus, His Son. And we can go directly to the Father. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says we should come boldly to the throne of grace to receive help in our time of need. God invites us to come boldly to his throne, confidently, without reservation, without hesitation. Do you go to God boldly for your needs? Or do you, or do you see God kind of more like you know, the Wizard of Oz, kind of the scary person that I want to approach cautiously? God says, come boldly to my throne and receive help from me. He invites us to come to him. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. So you see the whole, the whole nature of the relationships changing now. They can go directly to the Father and he says the Father himself loves you. God loves you. You know that today, that God loves you. And he says here that God loves you because you love his son. One of the best ways to win the love of someone is to love their child. Right? If you're a parent, you know that. Anyone who has showed love or kindness or generosity to your child, you love that person. You're thankful for that person. You're dedicated to that person because they love your child. The Father loves us because we love His Son. And anyone that loves His Son, He's going to love them back. Just like any parent would. Verse 28, I came forth from the Father. I have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. I love verse 28. Verse 28 is a one-sentence summary of what Jesus has done and what He's going to do. He says, I have come forth from the Father. That's the incarnation. I have come into the world. That's the humiliation of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 says he humbled himself and became a man. He says, I leave the world. That's the ascension to heaven. And I go to the Father. That's his glorification. All right here in one verse. His glorification. God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. What an awesome verse this is. Just one single verse. You have all of this packed in there. His disciples at this point said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly. 
and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things. They have been with him for three and a half years. They have heard every sermon. They've seen every miracle. Now we're sure. Minutes away from being arrested. Now, okay, now, now, before we were skeptical, we weren't sure, but now we're sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you, but this we believe, that you came forth from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Really? Now you believe? Look what he says in verse 32. Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, and has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. And, and Gethsemane, they're on their way to Gethsemane. Maybe they're, maybe they're in Gethsemane at this point. And they're saying, now we believe, now we know. You've come forth from God, now we're sure. And Jesus says, hey, any minute you're going to split. You're going to leave me. You're going to abandon me here. Just as Zechariah the prophet predicted, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And then he says, yet the Father, listen, God is always with you. He is always with you. People might leave you. People might forsake you. Family might forsake you. Family might abandon you. But God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never abandon you. Ever. We're never alone. God is always with us in every circumstance. Jesus was forsaken by God on the cross. That's why he called out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken on the cross so that we will never be forsaken. He's always with us. And then finally, verse 33, he ends it on this this high note here. These things I have spoken to you that in me... You may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now Jesus is in he's minutes away from being arrested and carried away to be condemned, and he says, Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now he doesn't look like a guy that's overcome the world. Next day he's gonna be hanging on a cross as a criminal. He's gonna die. Shameful death, and yet here he is saying, Be of good cheer, cheer up, I've overcome the world. So he's, he's going to the cross, not, not in defeat, not in despair, he's going in victory. He's going as a conqueror. And he speaks of it here as if it's a done deal. I've overcome the world, it's already happened. And Jesus, he says, in Jesus we have peace, peace in him, not, not in religion. Not in a creed that we believe our peace is in Jesus. Jesus is our peace. And he tells us very plainly here, in this world you'll have tribulation. You're going to have trials. You're going to have sorrows. You're going to have heartbreaks. Right? We've been alive for a couple hours, you know. Be of good cheer. That's what that empty tomb says to us. That this life is not all that there is. That there's more to it. And he has overcome the world on our behalf and because he overcame the world now we are overcomers right we have a future and a hope he asked me how i know and i say bring truer than the finest Christ.
thanks for joining Pastor Dan today to study the Gospel of John. This book articulates Jesus' life in a unique and powerful way, revealing Christ's deity throughout its pages. John paints a picture of the King of Kings by also showing how he could take the sins of the world with him to the cross. Today, you can have your sins forgiven by Jesus, by this death that he already endured. Jesus didn't stay in the grave, though. He rose. He lives now. And he wants a relationship with you. Would you like to know more? Give us a call. We'd be happy to share the joy and freedom waiting for you in Christ. Call us at 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. We'd like to meet you, too. If you live in the Baltimore, Washington area, come worship with us at Calvary Chapel. We'll gather this Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. For more information on what you can expect when you visit, go to calvaryec.com. You'll also find more of Pastor Dan's messages at our website. Again, that's calvaryec.com. That's all for today. Join us next time for more from the Gospel of John right here on Ring of Truth. It's true.